0: This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream.
1: The first time that I thought of her, she came to me so quietly, so calmly like a wrecking ball, calmly like a wrecking ball, calmly to me. I saw her. She could twist around her lips. She was borrowing those bracelets and giving me those eyes. A watch out for the young ones.
0: Well, that was um, an Elliot Rose DaCosta production called Time Got Away. And uh, according to Logan, we've heard that one before, but I I can't keep track anymore. I think this is officially our 85th episode. And I'm a little suddenly overwhelmed by that. That's kind of exciting. So welcome, everyone, to the 85th episode of Waking from the American Dream. Uh, It is May 16th. It is smack dab in the middle of May. Somehow we made it this far. Look at us. We're all still standing. The earth is still spinning. And yes, Benghazi is still being discussed on the Hill. Um, But oh, boy, now the big things this week, you know, I don't do a lot of political stuff on this show. Well, sometimes I do, depending on the guest. But um, boy... God, there's, oh, man, you know, the IRS and the Tea Party thing and the Benghazi thing and the AP thing. And I feel like we're in the freaking Nixon administration or something like that with all this stuff going on. Uh, it's a little crazy. And basically, then I'm uh, kind of avoiding it all because I'm still, it's it's May of 2013. And it's been since November of last year that I've Pretty much been avoiding politics of any kind because I just uh, couldn't take any more after the election. So that's going well for me. I, I kind of get the highlights of it. I know what's going on. I watch a little, uh, little Stephen Colbert, little John Stewart. Get my news, as they say. Let my husband. My husband watches Frontline. He watches that show. It's I think I know it's an important show, and Frontline does amazing work. But it, I'm always completely depressed after watching that show. So I let my husband watch Frontline and he reads the newspaper from front to back every day. So someone in our general household is extremely informed and knows what's going on in case we get quizzed by someone in, in you know, when we leave the house or something. But I, in general, am just avoiding all the schmucks in the world these days because it's hard enough. It's hard enough. It's hard enough. Oh, my God. Did you see that ice tsunami thing also? There was like on one of the Great Lakes, suddenly <laughs> there was this huge windstorm and there was because it's still freezing up in that region. None of the ice has melted on the Great Lakes. And this huge windstorm came and just pushed like a shitload of ice right onto people's front lawns. And go check it out. You got to Google it. The videos are amazing. They're calling it an ice tsunami. So, you know, it's bad enough with the ice tsunamis and, and the tornadoes and everything that... I don't need to be dealing with politics, also. And uh, what else is going on? Well, there's the whole Angelina Jolie thing, which I'm not even going to go into because I'm going to save that for another day. I, I it's way too close to home. My mother died of cancer, not breast cancer. She did have breast cancer in her in her 40s, though, and my grandmother and had it, and um, so it's late, way too close to home. But uh, but I do want to just say uh, that uh, it's uh, wow that's that's an uh, in, interesting thing interesting thing and we'll, we'll do a whole other show on that uh, on another day but i did want to mention that that is the that's what's going on this week and uh i uh i'm just dealing with shit in my life this week like some news from a friend not good and just a little overwhelmed so believe it or not i i did not do my homework this week i did not write an essay i know i've been really really good and i've been writing an essay for, I don't know, I think I must have like 15 now or something, something like that. I mean, quite a few since the beginning of the year. And uh, I did. I sat down today and I started writing and I thought, oh, you people don't want to hear this. This is just way too depressing. Because as you know, last weekend was the anniversary of my dad's death. I know it it was my dad's birthday, the anniversary of my mother's death and Mother's Day all rolled into two days. So already vulnerable and then some bad news from a friend. So I decided, um, I'm going to just do a little excerpt from my show. And I have a little audience here of two people, which is very nice. (laughs) And of course, you out there, my audience. Uh, So and normally what happens in the middle of this piece is I play an excerpt from my dad's material which is the, um, the the bit that he does in the word fuck. But we don't, you don't need to know that. I can I can work around that. But this is an actual excerpt from my show, A Carlin Home Companion, which if you happen to be in LA and you happen to be listening to this live today or tomorrow on the, on the iTunes, uh, I'll be at the Acme this Saturday with the show. And, uh, you know, always a good time. Always a good time. Made Kevin Smith cry last month. So, you know, there you go. Always a good thing to make people, humans cry and laugh. Of course, you can laugh too. But so anyway, uh, this uh, this piece is uh, a piece that I've done separately before, um, and I call it I've called it Summer Vacation, I call it Summer of '72, Summer of Love, uh, all sorts of different things. Uh, so, so here goes. Uh, in, in the summer of 1972, my mother and I got to go on the road with my dad. Now, at this point in my dad's career, he was literally a counterculture god to college kids all across America. It was uh, pretty astounding. Uh, So, our first stop on this uh, summer tour was Kent State. Now, at Kent State, my dad took me immediately to the memorial for where the college kids had all been shot by the National Guard a few years earlier. And he explained to me that these kids had been protesting against the war standing up for what they believed in, and that the government silenced them by shooting them. Now, I was all of about nine years old at this time, and so I was taking in this information, and on the outside, I looked very cool, calm, and collected, as I always tried to do. But on the inside, all I kept thinking about was, well, if the government could shoot these kids for standing up for what they believe in, could they shoot my dad? Or even me? Our next stop we went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We went to an actual place called Summerfest. Well, it's not a place, it's an event. You see Summerfest is this is this, well, it's this gigantic outdoor fair. Um, uh, the, the best way to describe Summerfest is it's it's generally an island of sausage surrounded by an, a large ocean of beer. And um, you know what they call good, clean American fun. And, and of course, when I think good, clean American fun, I always think George Carlin. And in particular, I think of the George Carlin in 1972 when he was doing the Seven Dirty Words routine. And so there my dad was on stage doing the Seven Dirty Words for, well... Let's just put it this way for everyone on the fairgrounds, because this routine could be heard throughout the fairgrounds. And so suddenly the promoter comes running up to my mother and says, so so, so, the cops are here and they don't like the language and, and they're going to arrest him the minute he gets off the stage. Now, my mother had to think very fast because she knew that my dad had both grass and coke in his pockets. And so she grabbed a glass of water and she went out on stage. And my dad, extremely confused, grabbed the water. But mom whispered to him, exit stage left. So dad wrapped up through his routine and, and exited. And we all ran to the dressing room. And mom stashed the cocaine. And the cops were coming down the down the hallway when all of a sudden, bang! A balloon had popped. (laughs) Someone had popped a balloon. And everyone was laughing a nervous laughing, except me. And then before I knew it, the doors opened and the cops were there and they took my dad and they handcuffed him. And I didn't think I would ever, ever see my daddy ever again. But luckily, my mom knew exactly what to do. You see, because in 1961, both of my parents had been in attendance at the very club when Lenny Bruce got arrested at the Gate of Horn in Chicago. Now... um My uh, the the, uh, policeman had asked my father for his uh, his identification and he told them, well, he didn't believe in IDs and they promptly threw him in the back of the paddy wagon with Lenny. When my dad proudly told Lenny what he had just done, Lenny looked at him and said, what are you a schmuck? Anyway, my mom chased that very paddy wagon on foot all the way to the precinct and she bailed them out of jail. So now in Milwaukee in 1972, she knew exactly what to do, get ourselves a civil rights attorney. And that she did. It was very strange. Uh, After one of the most harrowing weekends of my entire life, it took like $142 to bail my dad out of jail. And we were ready for our next gig, Carnegie Hall, New York City we stayed at the plaza hotel uh, if any of you are familiar with the character of eloise i now want you to imagine the character eloise with a tie-dye t-shirt sneakers and a denim jacket with a patch on it that said make love not war that was me every day i'd go downstairs and i'd order myself a hot fudge sunday and i'd sign it to the room life was grand and then the big night came carnegie hall We were all hunkered down in the basement. Uh, My dad was pacing like he always did before a show. And and my mother, uh, she was having a very deep, intense conversation with um, a person that she'd only met 10 minutes ago. I was in the corner reading Archie Comics and uh, eating a bag of Fritos when we got the knock. Two minutes, George. The promoter escorted us through the bowels of the building. And as we came up through the basement, I began to hear the stomping and the chant, George. George, George, there were over a thousand people saying my dad's name over and over again. And when he hit the stage, there was such a roar that every hair on my body stood straight up. I was surrounded by electricity, and there was this aching joy in my chest. I knew that none of this had anything to do with me, but still, yet, I felt so so connected to it all. And I knew... I knew that all I needed to do was stay right next to my daddy, and this buzz would be free.
2: I got me a brand new toothbrush, they come in packs of twos. Got so many pairs of underwears that I can pick and choose i may not have no sunshine but i'm grateful for the moon i got some ramen noodles and i found me a plastic spoon now you might say i'm going nowhere slow but at least i get to smell the rose The out of doors is always open and the bathroom is never closed So happy-go-lucky 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 I'll be happy-go-lucky one of these doggone days Need to have no internet, no wifi spot for me. Just friendly conversation, and I'm as happy as can be. You can keep your fancy jewelry, you can keep your fancy cars. All that stuff just keeps adding up like a prison with fancy bars. So I share these words with everyone To see the silver lining in the cloud Don't be depressed just cause it's a depression No frowny faces allowed So happy-go-lucky 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 I'll be happy-go-lucky One of these doggone days
0: That was uh, friend, best friend of Waking from the American Dream, Mr. Rick Overton. What's the name of that song, Logan? Happy Go Lucky. Happy Go Lucky. (laughs) I love Rick. That's so cool. You know, his dad was a very, very famous uh, jazz uh, arranger and composer uh, and actually worked with um, all the greats in New York in the 50s. uh, Something called the... The Something Loft project. There's a whole book about it. And he worked with Miles Davis a lot and all those guys. So the guy famous, famous jazz uh arranger and composer, and his mother was a singer in the she did the um oh god. Like not uh, the one one of those girl those all girl bands, um Oh shoot! I'll think of it. I'll think of it as I walk, as I walk, as I talk uh, throughout the show. It'll like suddenly a bird out of my mouth. Uh, anyway, you know, Mister Rick Overton. Uh, so I'm very, very excited to have my guest uh, in on Sweet Tail today. Um, you know her. She's an actress. She's also a producer and a writer, uh, and uh, Emmy nominated. Lottie Daw. You, you've seen her in Cape Fear and Ghost World and Goodfellas and. She played Angela in Six Feet Under, which is a great character. I watched those scenes again last night. And uh, most recently, she's been in a web series that she created and wrote and um, produced and uh, Melanie Mayron uh, directed. Uh, a, just a darling, really fantastic, very funny, well, well done, high quality web series called Easy to Assemble, which uh, happens inside of an Ikea. And we'll talk about that later. And recently, uh, she's been on TCM doing a lot of work. Um, the fabulous Ileana Douglas. Welcome. Hello, my goodness. I should just leave while I'm ahead. You truly are. You are so ahead right Come now. Come to my
3: house every day and say that <laughs> before I get up in the morning.
0: Like, things aren't so bad. No. Did you just hear that, Ileana? Really? I will whisper that in your ear every morning if you need, need it. Okay. <laughs> so iliana and i met which we'll talk about in a little while at um iliana's doing a fabulous live variety show these days she's bringing variety shows back people my favorite as as i first saw your dad on a variety show i think i saw him on
3: the Smothers brother show
0: probably yeah yeah i think that may have been first time i saw your dad i'm sort of
3: trying to recollect
0: yeah yeah all those uh those great shows um (laughs) So yeah, I'm a big fan of the variety show, and uh, and I'm so glad you're bringing it back. Living Thank
3: one you. living room at a time, one living room at a time. Yes, that is the. You, some people ask they they, they go do, now. Do the people know? I'm like yes, we, yes, they do know. They now know that's where, a reality show. They know Knock knock knock. Hi. <laughs> We barge in, we tie them up, and then we force them to re- listen to Mitzi Gaynor routines.
4: And, and a little the, soft shoe.
0: A little variety. <laughs> uh, and this, you spin their plates. Yes. <laughs> that, that makes it really exciting for them. You spin their grandmother's china. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so it's funny. So it's so funny because I've been... Watching you do your work uh, for a couple of decades now, and certainly in the independent film. In fact, yeah. when I saw you a couple of weeks ago at the show, I remembered seeing you in this uh, sh- movie that I could not find anywhere called Hacks. Oh, it, my mom's, my mother's favorite movie. I love that film. Uh, with, I think I saw it at a film festival. I must have, or something. I don't think it was ever released or distributed anymore. No, unlike they re-released it as Sink or Swim. Oh, okay. It was the
3: first of many films I've now done with Tom Arnold. <laughs> right. He's, he's neck and neck with Kevin Pollock. <laughs> right. um But yeah, me, Stephen Ray, John Ritter. It was a great cast. Ryan
0: O'Neal and very funny and Foley, insider yeah. humor. I mean, yeah. yeah. If you if you live or grew up or work in Hollywood, it's uh. You know, you you recognize yourself somewhere. Yes. <laughs>
3: I lo- I love doing the movie we shot it behind the uh um next to the Chateau Marmont. Yeah,
0: yeah. It it they- plays
3: a featured part of the the plot yes. the Chateau does. Yes. Oh, we had a blast and we we didn't have um There was so little money that they, there was a house up the street and the actor in it, Paul Stewart, had just died. Paul Stewart was in uh, Citizen Kane and he was part of the Mercury players. So, true story, we, Stephen Ray and I go there to rehearse and he had just died and they were, they were literally like throwing books and things like that in the garbage. Mm. And I started grabbing all the, all the books and I looked at Stephen Ray and I said, I have a f- weird feeling. I said, where do people leave something valuable? In a book. I'm going to find a letter from Orson Welles. And it was like, I opened a book. I took out this piece of paper and Stephen Ray said, I cut it out. And I was like, it's a letter from Orson Welles. It was, in fact, a letter from Orson Welles. Wow. Typewritten letter. And suddenly, suddenly then every, the whole cast. <laughs> like,
0: Everyone's coming up. coming
3: out, taking things. But yes. Ugh. Fun memories. I love Stephen Ray. Yeah. Although we d- were doing a, um, we we had to do a sex scene in a hot tub. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which is always hard for an actress. Yes. You're trying to, like, be sexy and it's, you know, freezing. <laughs> <Right>.
0: and, <laughs> and it's take 23 or whatever it is. It's
3: horrible. And, you, tr- you know, you're hoping the guy finds you attractive. And Stephen Ray looked at me after, like, about the 10th take and he goes, look at us, like, Two chickens stewing in a pot. Like, thank, thank you, Stephen. I was like, I'm glad to know I'm really getting to you. Yeah,
0: this is working my charm. It's really working.
3: <laughs> Throw some
0: carrots in here and we'll be all set. Yes, exactly. Well, And and what was interesting was that I did not know until I was watching some TCM thing in the last few weeks and you were standing in front of a poster uh, with your grandfather in it, mm. Melfin Douglas. And I was like... Oh, hello. Duh. Yeah. 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 Had no idea. Oh, yeah. He was amazing. He Truly. was
3: just a great actor and uh, just, I mean, I, I always loved movies and, and I don't know whether, again, it was part of like him having him, you know, as my grandfather was a, such an introduction into film history and, you know. Getting to be on the set of being there, and uh, oh wow, um, getting to meet Peter Sellers, and again, it was always this kind of inside outside. Like I I would, I had a poster of Peter Sellers in my room, and then I'm meeting Peter Sellers. Yeah, so I also had that critical you know historian po- point of view too like i was always remember like i was, i was thinking you know i'm going to remember all of this and mm-hmm. i would take special note of of all these of all these experiences mm-hmm. I, I had a feeling i would kind of you know write about them mm-hmm. um and so i would catalog them but then i was also a part of it because yes. you know and then years later i'm working with Caleb Deschanel, who's the dp and I'm. Right. so there was again there was always this kind of inside outside uh you know point of view and then that's where my grandfather gave me this amazing advice when he was working on ghost story which was uh no matter where you are in the world always order the club sandwich <laughs> that was that was his I didn't know what he was talking about I was like I really wanted to meet Fred Astaire that was like my the ghost story that's literally all I cared about I was obsessed with Fred Astaire sure but uh, we were in the hotel room with my grandfather and he was going over his lines and he ordered room service and he said no matter what country you're in <laughs> you can always get the club sandwich and all these years later it's like 25 years later in show business I've been in Bucharest to Shreveport <laughs> Louisiana in Iowa and I'm like yeah he's right the club sandwich it's always there you can always you can't mess it up
0: you can't if you can if you can do bacon yeah, You're you, you, there's there is nothing. <laughs> I don't know
3: why that is. A tra- so great. Translates in every country. That's that was the best advice he ever gave me. <laughs> I live by that
0: did you um were your parents involved in the business or? No
3: no, they were te- they were teachers i mean they' you know my um, my my mom is Italian and I, so I grew up i I spent a lot of time with my Italian relatives and they're very very you know theatrical. I actually think I get my great sense of timing and storytelling from my grandmother and mm-hmm. from the Italian. Uh, side of the family. That's because you have to learn to make up stories because the police are always chasing you, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really sure why Italians are such good storytellers. No, no, it's fine. They're like moving. <laughs> Just get that truck out of here. Um, but all of my relatives. Were Italian relatives were very very funny storytellers. Oh wow! My my grandfather is very much into getting an education and elocution mm. and learning about the business and the history. And so I think that both families have you know have served served me well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and what age were you when the bug bit you or you knew okay this is I'm going to be on this. Path, the path of the artist, or, you know.
3: You know, that's interesting. I always loved movies. But I never was secure enough to know how I would get in the movies. Yes. I just
0: you know what I mean? I can so relate to that, even though I'm in the business you grew up in the business too. I never thought like, how do you do that?
5: Like, yeah. There's
0: no like they don't give you a key or anything like that or like pat you on the back and say, You're in, kid. Or Yeah. You, it's like how do you do that? Yeah. And again, like
3: getting back to the variety show the well, I always have this theory anyway, that the first images you see somehow they stick in your mind and then you're 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 constantly replaying them in your head. And my first images were television, men in suits, you know, telling, saying funny things mm-hmm. like that is against a very odd kind of blue, back, you know, blue, right. yes. blue background. Yes, like that was where my first images, mm-hmm. and and uh, they stayed with me. And somehow, you know, they made me happy, and I just somehow wanted to be in that world. And then I know also, and then visiting, you know, my my grandfather. Uh, who who always very much wanted me to be a writer, that he thought I had a great talent in, mm-hmm. in, in writing. And not too many people in acting school thought I had a great talent for acting. <laughs> but, um, Where did you study? I went to one school – and uh, which shall remain nameless because they now use me as a poster child oh, for having well there you, gone so there. So clearly you were a success, according to them. Well, I went there for a year. And after I did my – even though I met on my way to to this thing, which is another very long story. But the first movie I ever saw had Lee Marvin in it on television. I saw I saw Paint Your Wagon on, mm, t- on television. Yes. Yeah, I had an obsession with Lee Marvin because there was where I grew up. We only got one channel because we were so poor; like we 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 couldn't afford an antenna, right. and so we only got CBS. Right. So if it was not on CBS, I didn't know about it. And it did on, not exist on CBS at the time. They showed two movies. They showed Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> And Dirty Dozen, like those, the only movies I remember from my childhood. But anyway, I was obsessed with Lee Marvin, and on the day that I, at the end of my first year at the school, I on my way to school, I saw Lee Marvin, and mm-hmm. I knew that that was a sign that I somehow. And I briefly spoke to him. He said some very kind words to me, and then I did my scene. And after I finished my scene, the head of the school came up to me and said goodbye, Ileana. Wow! <laughs> and I thought that is not. <laughs> <laughs> that does not sound good. No. And six weeks later, I got a letter in the mail saying, you know, we regret to inform you, dot, dot, dot. And I was very depressed about it for six months. And then I decided, screw them. I'm going to go to another acting school and start all over again. Mm. And that acting school was called the Neighborhood Playhouse. Mm. And from that moment on, everything kind of turned around for me. And I found like great teachers that really
0: understood me and, and
3: helped me and, uh, changed my life really
0: what what did you have to discover for your process to really finally be able to connect to Being in your own skin and being able to work with material and... Well,
3: it's funny that it's so definitive, but because for me, it is very definitive because my grandfather was Melvin Douglas and similar to you, but in no way, because your father was very famous. But, you know, my grandfather was successful and I was on movie sets and I knew that, you know, he was somebody that was special. Um, And I tried to be, and I, I got little jobs in dinner theater and musical theater. And so I considered, I was in show business. Mm-hmm. you know um on the peripheries of regional theater doing musicals which was all that was available to me at the time so when i went to acting school you know i thought i was like pretty good i oh, was like right. uh-huh. i was like
0: you know was, i've been doing this for a while yeah. people
3: i was like yeah. i'm one of the hollywood blondes in gypsy i don't know <laughs> if you got to see that out of town <laughs> you know, but so then i was like knocked down to si- to size so i had a lot of um you know, I had a lot of like chutzpah and spunk, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have any real internal uh, gifts. And so when I was in acting school, my my teacher, whose name was Richard Pinner, who's an amazing teacher, you know, kind of broke, had, had spent two years basically breaking me down with things like saying, you know... Just be simple. He mm-hmm. goes, stop trying to be interesting. You are interesting. Mm-hmm. Like you walk into the room and you're interesting. Right. Like you don't need to put an a, a, an effect on that. And also because I always wanted to be funny, he said something that was for me life changing. Which was he said that um, he said he had told me after I did a scene that. Because you're a you're a he said I think of you as a you're perverse you're a pervert you're a true pervert because you pervert your feelings you put a joke instead of your real feelings Mm. and I and 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 I thought about that and I stopped I stopped editing my feelings and switching them onto the other person in terms of a joke right and once I did that once I let actual things affect me uh it it changed you know it changed the way I acted. And then what he did was after about a year of that, he said, "Remember everything you used to do before you came here. Now you can start doing it." Oh, wow. So, you know, I was very, very lucky that I had a great Yes. I had a great supportive teacher.
0: Yeah, who really understood how to disassemble you so you could Figure yeah. out how to put it all back together again. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And
3: he and he made us fail a lot. Mm. Like he constantly. He said you will not be able to fail once you get out there. So he said so. Right now, like you should just fail right as much as possible, and that way, like you'll know when you're, you know, when things are going too far. And I and I think again that was like really really good advice. I sometimes I'll be on a movie set, and I'll do the first take, and it's you know I. If, if I'm supposed to cry, like I'm huge crying. And the director, unless it's a good director, gets a little like, whoa, can we bring it down? But the thing is, that's all from my teacher. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't release that, right. you've got to get – you can't be afraid yes. to, to do the big thing because you're like, okay, great. Now I got that out of the way. Let's find out what, what this is about. Right. And I think that, that the, all that confidence came from my – from my acting teacher we're so afraid that we're going to be bad yep that
0: then we don't do anything yeah it it, it, that'll paralyze you yeah in life or acting or anything I mean permission to fail that's a huge thing I mean I went through um, a similar not an acting program but a a leadership program Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that they teach you right away is give yourself full permission to fail yeah and just giving yourself permission to fail Changes the land inner landscape of yeah. who you are immediately. So yeah, that's that's great. Oh, he used to do this thing, which
3: in the living room show we now I make I make the my partner Sarah Sweet do, which was we would add uh, these we would do impediments on on a scene.
0: Oh yeah, I was watching the the one you did a few a weeks ago. Yeah yeah yeah.
3: Well, he genuinely did this. Like he we we would do a scene and he'd say, "I want you to be, I want you to do this, and I want you to be as bad as over the top as you." <laughs> (laughs) Think I want you to have the if you have a Spanish accent like (laughs) to the eighth degree, you know, add a limp. And the thing is, you would do all these things, and people would be laughing and stuff. And then in the midst of it, you'd end up finding some really cool stuff to do. Mm. You know, like he'd say, "You're a you know you're you're a moth, and the other person's a light bulb." You know, and you'd be doing the whole scene. And you're doing this scene, you're like, well, this is just silly. Everybody is <laughs> laughing, you know. And then you're doing it, but it gets you out of your head. Yeah. And then suddenly you find these really interesting things that, that come out of it. Yeah.
0: You know what that reminds me of? Do you, are you a fan of Anne Lamott? Do you know who she is, the no. writer? Mm-mm. She's a, uh, an amazing writer an essayist, uh, also a novelist. But she's got a book called Bird by Bird, and it's mm-hmm. writing advice. And one of the things she says is, she says, you have to give yourself permission to do a shitty first draft. Mm-hmm. You know, as a writer, if you sit down and you think it has to be picture perfect, that right. first, you're not going to write anything. And this reminds me, this is kind of like the shitty first draft oh. version of acting.
3: It was so... Free. That's so
0: cool. To just to do, you
3: know, your father, the king, has been mad. <laughs> and stuff, and do it like do your worst, yes, like yes, yes. over the top, you know. <laughs> and then the thing is, you're like, it was actually pretty good, yeah. like somewhere between awful <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and kitchen sink reality is right. something really good. I mean, actually, one of my complaints about acting these days is that people act without a point of view. Mm. Everybody's talking like this, and I was like I can't hear anything like everyone's <laughs> on the same, whereas you know Betty Davis had an opinion J- mm. James Woods had an opinion about a scene, mm-hmm. you know what I mean they were not afraid to like just go dive into the scene and have a real opinion and everybody's so frigging monotone these mm. days that it's hard everyone's very modulated, mm-hmm. and I don't really know what they're you know what they're feeling
0: yeah yeah that's that's an interesting point. that is. I have to. I'm going to have to think about that. I like that though. That is that is true. I mean, God, Betty Davis had an had an opinion. She sure did, right? Like she yeah. she she came in the room and there was like a real yeah.
3: Everybody had a real opinion. They were not, you know, they were not afraid mm-hmm. to to express that. And again, like with you know Humphrey Bogart,
4: mm-hmm.
0: he had a real opinion. Yeah, and, yeah. Clint Eastwood. You think of Clint Eastwood. You know, yeah. Uh, people like yeah. And I wonder if it's because of the just the the way filmmaking has changed and our storytelling has changed and, you know, there's just a different style now or if it's television that's done, I don't I'm
3: not sure. I mean, it's like, you know, listen, nothing has really changed since Marlon Brando in some ways. That like is true. He, he sort of invented a yes. style of acting. Yeah. And then everything sort of comes from that. But like we've gone, it, there, there's just, a, I think, a kind of a kitchen sink reality. And I think that, you know, men are just – everything also, in my opinion, became kind of task-related. Like, oh, we have to save the plane from – you know. Right. So it became task-related as opposed to character-driven. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of the actors that I really love, you know, John Garfield. Mm-hmm. That guy had an opinion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're like, I don't know if he's going to – who's he going to hit now? You know, like, <laughs> right. Jesus, get, get get out of the way. But like, you, they were so volatile. Yeah. And yeah. I guess – that's what you know. I'm going to sound like film historian now, but they call that kind of acting the you know post war, post World War II right. men coming back. They're they're mentally anguished. They're angry. Things aren't the same. And and all those kind of actors, Sterling Hayden, John Garfield. You know, they were very they are very volatile. Mm-hmm. And but I love that. Mm. I actually kind of miss that style of acting. I don't know why everybody is very monotone. I mean um I, I think of um I think of Harrison Ford that way. Mm-hmm. Like he does a lot of you know very uh simple, you know, straightforward yeah. where they don't where, where everything is very you know, very simple.
0: Yeah, or and even like I think of like um early Al Pacino, you know, versus now when he shows up in something. Sometimes I don't even recognize him anymore because yeah. it's like where is Where's Al Pacino? I mean, like you think of Dog Day Afternoon, you know, yeah, or or, or that great film that he and Gene Hackman did. Oh, Scarecrow. Yes, yeah, that's on my that's on my look that's on my list. Second looks. Oh, that is an incredible. For next my time. parents took me to that film in the theater. Like, I don't think I understood <laughs> it as a kid, but I, it was so like emotionally such an impact on me that film. Yeah. So, oh, it's disturbing, disturbing, and just oh, there's something raw about the, those films, and certainly in that era, right? Where we were getting to know disturbing things about people in a in a different way, in a in a more well. Shadowy plus, on way.
3: TV too. I mean, this is like a sidebar discussion. But when we were growing up, like <laughs> yes, I always say this like. Do you remember on TV, it was like, you know, l- Hustling with Lee Remick, and there was like all these movies on TV, like Linda Blair getting raped in prison. Yes. I mean, it was like, things were volatile. Yeah, Things were, and you know, I, every movie my parents took me to, too. There was like naked, full frontal nudity. Oh, yeah. yeah. People were having sex. It was like, <laughs> you know, and now everything is... You know I feel you know weird like everything is looks so pristine, and the sound is pristine, yeah, and it and it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel in sync with with reality. Yeah, sometimes. It's, it's
0: not. Um, there's uh, yeah, there's a, a perfection to the grit in some way. or yeah. something.
3: Whereas I thought it was much sexier, like seeing people's bodies, and they weren't exactly you know they weren't like ripped and.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was
3: much scarier because you're like, whoa, they're in their underwear. <laughs> exactly. you know, like whoa, <laughs>
0: like a real person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I'm thinking of like George C. Scott films during that time. You know, it was like very raw. You know, and all of the. Yeah, all yeah. of those. All of those people
3: growing up. I mean, Jill Clayburgh for me and Marsha Mason. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, all those all those movies that my, you know, that we went to see. Sally Field. You know, everybody was like angry and screwed up. And yeah. And uh, and somewhere along the way, you know, yeah, it's it you know it 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 just sort of it just sort of changed. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, I think maybe because I mean I was just thinking about. It right now that there was a generation that was born then that was brought up in watching those movies mm-hmm. and then they became filmmakers mm-hmm. and it's like all of that was filtered through them and, 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 and interpreted by them in some way you right. know what I mean so that it's like through their psyches all that entered and now it's coming out again and there's some sort of filtering shaping that they're doing to, yeah. to that material you know because there's a lot of dark material still out there but it doesn't hit you in that way that it certainly did in the 70s and the 60s and the 70s when you saw those films yeah
3: yeah i feel like everything is done sometimes in the film at a distance mm-hmm. I, you know what i mean so i'm not i'm not i don't feel viscerally involved as much as i as i used to yeah and i got into a lengthy discussion because i was watching uh the taking of Pelham one two three. The, the original, other night. yes, the original. Love which the original, on.
0: and then you watch the new one, and it's very
3: different. Right, everything is very modular, and yes. it's like it's it's not the uh, why is the first one. So that's what my friend or, we were discussing. It's yeah. the same story. Yeah, but why is the first one just so much more exciting? So compelling.
0: Yes. Yeah.
3: And but I miss. I also miss those kind of you know Walter Matthau, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Balsam, you know, mm-hmm. and they were older. Um, and they just were more, they were just more visceral. I can't, I can't quite yeah. explain it. It could, you know, the new generation seems to be very, very ex- afraid of expressing any kind of emotion because, you know, They think that people will laugh at them or something. Whereas I think that all these other movies, it was the opposite. Like they were they 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 were were... suddenly
0: free to express. Exactly. You know, after the as we know, you know, I mean the the, the, the country had exploded and everything was being expressed at that point. Yeah. And and so filmmaking became I mean, yeah, because you look side by side those kind of independent, grittier films with what else was going on in Hollywood at that time, and there was still a lot of Preciousness and uh, perfection and old Hollywood kind of stuff that was very distanced yeah. Also, in some ways, you know, and so there was such a juxtaposition then of of those films. But but yeah, I mean, certainly that new wave of, of filmmaking was. I love the movies from the fifties. I mean, we're showing a movie tomorrow night on second
3: looks. The first one up, um, it's like one of my favorite movies. It's called Ace in the Hole. It's with Kirk Douglas mm. and Jan Sterling. It was received so poorly when it came out. It's uh, written and directed by Billy Wilder. Oh, wow. It ended Billy Wilder's career at Paramount. The movie was taken away from him. It was re-released as The Big Carnival. Uh, Kirk Douglas actually had to take an ad out saying, uh, ex- trying to say, like, I've never been involved with a movie that was this controversial. It's about the, it's about a hard-boiled uh, reporter looking for a big story, and how uh, he's so ruthless, willing to do anything to get the story, and it's about. The, what is the creation of the media circus.
0: Wow. So it's
3: the first telling of a story and at the time the press came out against it, they condemned the film. Mm. And let me tell you something, this pe- these people, there's no like there's no one in the movie <laughs> that is likable. And it's it's one of the most riveting explosive wow. movies. A, you know, a hit of people like Martin Scorsese and Brian De Palma and people in the film industry like it but it's like kirk douglas is It it is relentless wow. it is like a relentless film and it's but it's so wonderful and i think that people these days would be afraid to play a character mm. um to and to play characters like that that are so unsympathetic
0: mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm.
3: so and so ruthless
0: right right
3: and it's a shame that is yeah that is a shame Because I think that they're not giving the audience credit for, you know, uh, just like, yeah, that could be me. You know, like to me, that's the whole. Yep. That's the whole. It's it's
0: owning your shadow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to look at the insanity of whatever that is and say, uh, anyone could make that choice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is very true. Uh, Do you know the film uh, Executive Suite? Oh, I love that movie. Another 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 great one. Another great film no one knows about. And yet... Totally talks about the corporate takeover of a family business. It's so timely yeah. right now. I mean, one of those great great films that yeah. you you just never see. I love it. Anymore. Yeah. Well, they do play it
3: on TCM. But we're of putting. They- I mean, we did we did uh, we picked this time twenty five films from all different eras, like from the nineteen thirties up until the nineteen eighties. Uh, twenty five films that deserve a second look. And it's going, like, really well. And I'm also having a blast. Like, I tweet along. I've been
0: watching you. Yeah, you're
3: doing a live tweeting during it. It's great, yeah. My friend, you know. So that part's fun, too, because we get to – you get to comment with
0: people about (laughs) – yeah, these great films. You get to create community around these films again. Yeah, yeah. So
3: that that's what we're hoping is like you know re-release these films or remake them. I mean, we showed a movie last week called Above and Beyond, mm. which was is, which is the only movie made about Colonel Tibbets, the the guy who dropped the atom bomb. Wow. Uh, you know, in right. the plane, the Enola Gay. Yeah, and uh, it's just a. It's just a mind-boggling story that he was not able to tell. I mean, that's what the movie is about, how nobody, how they picked him, how they sort of almost picked him arbitrarily, and then how he carries out this mission. He could not tell his wife, which it ends up ruining his life and his marriage. And it's it's just an incredible story Hmm. above and beyond. It was done in the, I think, like, I'm... I think nineteen forty nine or something wow. like that. Wow! But we're we're giving we're hoping to give some of these movies, you know, a new life for people. Yeah, and, know, everybody thinks movies started with The Godfather.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think <right>. I knew. <laughs> well, and I think it's you know, I mean, unless you, you know, unless you go to college, I mean, unless you're a, a film buff anyway, for whatever reason, maybe your mm-hmm. parents are, but unless you go to college and study film, you're not really going to know about the, these films and yeah and it I you know there there was so much great filmmaking going on back then and I think about that you know the studio system and how you know in some ways how um how, how very different it was than it is today obviously mm-hmm. and yet there were these writers that had come from the east coast many of them eastern european jews who'd Mm -hmm. come over and they come from the east coast and there was incredible literary writers writing these films and then these studio heads and stars funding them and they were really controversial you Mm -hmm. know pushing against the status quo at the time oh yeah you know and and all of that at the same time there was you know the goofy films too going on but and and it's It's so interesting now how studios become, you know, it's like basically if it's not part three of, you know, some comic book character these days, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I just saw Iron Man 3. It's incredibly good. Mm -hmm. It's a great comic book kind of movie. But studios are like, you know, if if it's not going to open with $100 million, we're not interested. Well, the thing is they make movies because, again, I still do, you know,
3: independent films and, you know, I produced this documentary about like is indie about is you know indie film is it dying mm-hmm. you know because there, there was a time for for me in the 90s you know you're doing six, seven indie films
0: oh, yeah. it was, a year and,
3: and it, it, was just, it just it just kind of died yeah. and now there's these you know you do these movies that are under a million dollars like mm-hmm. so they are you're making these movies but they go directly to Netflix yep. or people don't get to see them I mean there was a movie I did last year called The Green She had a gay storyline, a fantastic film. People loved it. It won lots of awards. But, you know, people never, unless you find it somehow on Netflix under alternative titles, you know, it's hard to find, you know, a way to see this movie. And so that's part of the idea with TCM is to create a space thing that is second looks, Mm. that can be a franchise, that we can keep, you know, we can find, I can find a movie, I mean, I was discussing it with them today. Robert Wagner was in a movie called A Kiss Before Dying, and I think it was in the 50s with Joanne Woodward. It's an amazing film, if anyone ever wants to see it, for a variety of reasons. They remade it with Matt Dillon many years later. He also recently was in a a movie with Christopher Clomber. Christopher Plummer called a man in the, the man in the chair, mm-hmm. which is an indie movie which nobody has seen, which is an amazing movie. So there's Robert Wagner, right, in, in a studio film that was great, and also in this independent world. So we can take an actor like that and and expose you know, and yeah, re- that's great. reinvigorate and really, re- you know, excite people yeah. about our art form, which is also, you know, my big thing of being the granddaughter of Melvin Douglas. Like, I love movies and the art form of movies, and I just don't think we appreciate it enough to, like, yes, there's a place for the big, you know, tent pole movies, but, right. but there also has to be a place, you know, for filmmakers and appreciation of, of filmmakers like we had when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we went to school and we we knew Fellini and, you know, we knew we knew all the different direct. We knew Robert Altman. You went to see a Robert Altman movie. <laughs> right. I don't know any. I don't know anybody who directs. I mean, there's maybe five people where you actually know who directed the film. Yeah, This is very true. <laughs> and they yeah. do this thing, too, which makes me crazy of like where they obscure the credits. You yeah. can't you can't see the credits. No. I know, and on television, you're watching a movie, and all of a sudden it goes. All of a sudden, the credits go away. <laughs> yeah. You can't even see, and or they're scrolling by so fast that you're yeah. like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> it's like it's as if they don't want you to know who made it or who's <laughs> in it or anything, you know. Um, but it's it's, uh, I'm I you know that that's just my thing is like film history and films. Are an amazing part of our history, and I just don't think we, I just don't think we appreciate it. Yeah, enough.
0: yeah. I, and I, I love that. I love that you have this passion, and that you're, you're. I think it's a, a a great thing. You know, you think of TCM, and I don't know. You think, oh, there's all those old movies, and but there's something like exactly to have someone like you who is totally known for independent films in the '90s, which was like such this explosion of energy around filmmaking, mm-hmm. and then you saying. Come, come with me, and let's look at these older films. There's a, that's a, you're, it's a great bridge that you, you're, that you are. That's fantastic. Well, the first movie we showed in second looks was the 1933. It was never,
3: it has not been seen since the 1960s. The 1933 version of Alice in Wonderland.
0: I saw a little clip of that. Oh my God! The, the, um, this, It's insane. The special it's, effects it's are crazy. amazing. It's crazy,
3: and it was. I mean, you know, there is no switchboard anymore, but the switchboard (laughs) metaphorically lit up. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, like, what is this movie? People were freaking out. It (laughs) was so so surreal. People were like, this is like a horror movie. I was like, I know. That's what I wanted to (laughs) do. You got to see see it." it. And, you know, now they're selling it on TCM. Oh, that's great. So people were like I want I got to get this movie. It's it's great. It's got Cary Grant and WC Fields and Gary Cooper and wow. It's 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 outrageous and it's so creative and it's 1933. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow. You know, yeah. and if you again, you can get people just as excited about that mm-hmm. as the Tim Burton version of Alice in Wonderland because all these people like they'll get ideas just like you know, just like we did these visual, you know, these visual images that hopefully stay in their head. And, and, you know, it can't all be like really loud.
0: Well, you know, and, booming movies. great storytelling is great storytelling. And if you have a passion for the story, and you know how to tell the story, as a filmmaker, I, I don't think it matters. I mean, you, you, you give it a you understand when it's an older film that that I don't know, maybe you give it some sort of a leeway. But even then there was such a an energy and excitement about filmmaking back then, because yeah. it was such this new medium. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the internet for us. You know, right. it's like, what is this thing about? What 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 the potential's endless? What yeah. can we do with it now? And and that was you know so amazing to to see. I mean, you watch The Wizard of Oz now, you know, even and it's like, there's some charming little things about it, but it's like. Wow, this is spectacular! What they did. You oh, know? yeah, truly, truly. I mean, it just—it's uh, such a—and they were just doing it. I
3: mean, again, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, we the, the the director of the movie, Victor Fleming, who did Wizard of Oz. In 1939, he also did about four other movies. Right, yes. You know, like yeah. w- he did Captain's Courageous, uh, which has my grandfather in it, Spencer Tracy. He did The Good Earth. He d- was doing wow. reshoots on another movie. He was doing pickups on this movie. Right. I mean, it was crazy the amount of,
0: the amount of work you yeah. know, that they did in the studio, in the studio system. Yeah. There's something about, I was just on a, a lot last week. I went to Culver Studios and mm-hmm. there's something about walking on those old lots. That oh, it's just, great. God, you, you, you literally feel the magic in the air. You do. I mean, I do.
3: And, uh, you know, and you you just, know the, the, the chaplain studios, of course, on La Brea.
0: Yeah. That was the very first acting thing I ever did. We did it. My dad did a pilot for HBO and I got a little part in it. And we were at those stages and they told us the history and it was like, wow.
3: Yeah. It's Charlie ama- Chaplin Studios. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. That's what Hollywood is, is based on. It's a shame they've torn, you know, a lot yeah. of it down, but it's still it's still here. Warner Brothers is a beautiful, you know, lot to yep. me, but I'm the same way. I'm walking around with like, my head up. <laughs> Looking around. My
0: husband was uh, shooting on the Disney lot a couple of weeks ago and took a picture because one of the stages was where they shot Mary Poppins. Uh-huh. And they had a little plaque there saying this stage was where Mary Poppins, you know, was shot. And you're just like, immediately you melt. You're like, yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, you
3: just have to, you know, you just have to get excited about it. Like I said, I think there's, I think people are excited about it, but there's this uh, too cool for school sort of attitude that everybody has. I'm
0: so done with that. I'm uh, so done with the hipster, ironic, too cool for school bullshit. (laughs) I
3: I know. I don't know why it's crept
0: in. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with being enthusiastic and geeky about, you know, geeky in like an emotional way, you know? I mean, I love being enthusiastic and being I'm not sure what it is. Again,
3: it could be the distance with the internet and it's not I don't know. You know, but like it it differs from like when we were in acting school, you know, everybody it was just about like self expression and Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wanted to, you know, cry
0: and <laughs> feel like well, I just, be vulnerable. Well, it's like doing sketch comedy. It's so freeing to do sketch comedy because it's like you can just be big and obnoxious and play it up and Yeah. You know, you don't have to like you know figure out the, you know you can just be there with it you yeah. know as, as big as possible and, and so much fun well i think
3: also people are afraid to come off as needy is another like mm. if, you know like that that if i if i s- seem to engaged
0: yeah. i'll come off as like pathetic and needy i think that's i think that's a great point i th- i think there is that that it's like you know because then if i'm needy and i don't get what i need then I'm vulnerable. Exactly. And then that's, you know, you know who know, wants to show that, really? Right. And you, yet... You slink away. Yeah. You know, whereas like, I,
3: I yeah, I, I, as I said, I like the other thing. I like people who have an opinion. It doesn't really bother me. I don't take it personally. Right. You know, um, I, I don't even mind people yelling at me in terms of this. <laughs> I try not to take it personally. People yell at me.
0: Now, when you did... um your uh the series when were you done with that a couple of years ago? you've been done with it for a while?
3: Or? no, no, we finished uh was the, the we finished in uh, october oh you did so you yeah. just finished it. The, the the last season We've and you're not do- doing anymore uh it, w- i'm waiting to see like uh-huh. again i've just i've been doing a lot of movies i love doing the show it's it's so much work it really does take a year i mean I have to write it i have to cast it yep. work working out the enormous schedule of, of everybody of course shooting it is kind of insane like to, just to get like you know Fred willard and this person and it, that person and yeah the,
0: the cast is amazing i mean like it just kept revealing more and i only watched the last season. Now I'm going to go back and watch all of them and, oh, kind of, God. and, and watch the whole foundation yeah. of it all. But yeah. um, you, I was really interested because um, I mean web series are kind of the things these days and yes. I was just interested in the format because so you would shoot, each of them are like six to eight minutes long so you, would you shoot yeah, like we, the whole season, exact Week or two weeks or whatever you were doing. No, we
3: the, we did it because I, you know, my background is movies and doing indie movies and right. pro- producing movies. And the way it worked was that I would I would get the budget from IKEA and we would shoot it over a six uh, to ten day period as a film. Gotcha. So I write it as a film. Right. I break. I have the breaks. Kind of in my head of where I think that the ep- episodes will go, but in my mind, I don't know how to write like little four minute.
0: Yeah, that's what things. that's what I thought because I loved that. That sometimes you would go like, "Oh, end of show," but then the next one was like starting off. You're coming around the corner with your character again. Yeah. Like, okay, well, good. We're I know where we are at now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
3: you know, just from like watching television, I was like, okay, we fade out here and we fade out there. Yeah, the, the episodes differ slightly from the full version. Like we were the first web show to ever we 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 would have a premiere every year, and people would come because I still think of it as an independent film, yeah, as showing the whole thing you know it's my vision as a you know as a filmmaker, and it's got to have a story beginning to end, however, there's also like the little episodes like if you just want to do the little fun episodes they the episodes differ slightly because sometimes we would have to change in and out the music like I'm was so right. into it, so I write the script and then people. Uh, we do it, and then the final process is being in the editing room. we cut a long version, we cut the episodes oh
0: wow, so
3: it 's actually a lot of work well,
0: uh, yeah. but
3: but you know but fun and and uh we 've done it you know did it for four years in a row and it 's a it 's a heck of a lot of work. And I I want to start writing features now.
0: Yeah, you know? should, because I think oh, you're a great you. writer. Oh, thank
3: you. I thank mean, you. Uh,
0: meeting you last month, I was, I thought, oh, you're funny and all that. You've got so much talent. But then watching this, I'm like, man, you can really write, girl. Oh, thank you, you gosh. You really can. Like, That's really,
3: yeah. i like, t- I
0: want more. I want more of your voice out there, oh, definitely. Thank
3: you. It took me a while, you know, because again, just just, you know, just, I loved acting mm-hmm. and I don't think I ever... Wanted to be a writer. I just wanted to be like an actress in a sitcom and having somebody get me a latte, right. and, you know. And then like, I had no aspirations of, you know. And then as the movie business like started to kind of dry up and indie films, like I was, I started, the, I was doing the easy to assemble. And I write this in the um, show, but it was actually true. It's like I discovered the best role I never played was myself. Mm-hmm. It was always kind of slightly embarrassed about, you know, sure, I can write jokes, but can I really write something that people would be interested in? And then doing, and I'm also a perfectionist. So I spent four years, I really wanted to be sure, like, what is my voice exactly? Mm -hmm. And so even though I was sort of cautious in my approach, I didn't like, boom, get my first feature out there. Right. I actually feel much more confident now because I know, I know what I want to write about. And I know, you know, I, I love like writing stories, you know, male-female relationships and love and looking for family and feeling kind of like an outsider. Um, and that was what the show, you know, the sh- the show gave me a long time to look at movies and see what I wanted to write about, see cinematically what I wanted to do. Because, you know, doing movies these days is, you know, it, it's it's challenging because you're you're not only doing the movie, but the time element of it is very tough. So Mm -hmm. when we do Easy to Assemble, everything is shot listed before – like people are really surprised. Yeah. I do movies all the time and I get there and there's no shot list. (sighs) And, <laughs> drive <me it's>, crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, they kind of like things. And then what ends up happening is like it's it's haphazard. Yes. It's not as good as it could be. Yeah. My standards are so high. Sure. And the way we do easy to assemble is, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty tough on people because I'm producing it. When I work with a director. Right. Uh, we we sit there. We talk about every single scene, what I want to achieve, what the shots are going to be, mm-hmm. what what we're going to look like. I play music for them. Like I know usually even in advance like some of the songs I'm going to use. It's like I've listened to, to music. Like all the music we use in the show is I've usually reached out to the person beforehand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like can I use this song because I'm already interweaving it into what I want to do. Um, and it's it's well, well planned out. Wow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's just I loved there's um, – all the all the amazing – Uh, people you got to to play with but also the integrating of the ikea stuff in with the storyline was so clever oh thank you really charming and a clever and like just added a level to it that was like what's this this is so different you know and 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 so fun and there was like always this because it's like it's It's not real, but it's real. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like you're playing you, but – which I just love when people do that, like playing you, but not quite you because it's not quite your life and yet – um, and then but you're at the Burbank store and you're talking about the Carson store and all of us in LA are like well we know the Carson store and the Burbank store <laughs> I know and when we shoot like what's funny is that people come
3: in like Roger Bart comes in this year and he's like oh it's people really are shopping and I was like I know <laughs> I told you like Ikea there's no on a movie what they call a lock up where you lock it up right? like, yeah. no I can't like we're we're yeah. in the store like yeah, we totally. don't the people walk across the shot they walk across the shot <laughs> yeah. people Ask me where the t- they go. Oh, there's. Pat- I mean, Patricia Heaton when she did the show, she's like, oh, like everybody says the same thing. Like right? they actually ask me where the towels are. Like we're shooting, we're shooting with Patricia Heaton, and people go, oh, I know her. She's in Everyone, Lo- Everyone loves Raymond, and they're watching, and they're watching, and then they go, where are the towels? You know? Like that is always.
0: People are always <laughs> over Or the horch of oranges or whatever they are. Yeah, whatever. That, strange. That great scene you wrote with the parents who don't have the name for the baby. And oh, yes. Because my husband and I, we do Ikea names all the time. And so when you – that scene, we were watching it last night. We were just <laughs> – I would know. He's we named after a, a Billy. A Billy. It's a bookcase. Billy, case. no, can't do that. It's bookcase. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and all of that is and that's a wonderful actor too Eric Lang is. he's so funny our original yeah. the, my, the first manager was um, was uh, Jane Lynch she's
0: oh she, her career didn't go anywhere no so. too bad we haven't heard from her since then <laughs> she was our
3: first she was our first manager oh good
0: I can't wait to go back and, and... she's in
3: season one
0: okay good
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was with my the right. Then we had the frenemy thing with me and Justine Bateman. And that oh, all went. okay, I
0: see. So that's and for so, the bitter and forty. Uh, yeah, that was her show. Right, I right. Take over her show. Okay, and then, good. Um, oh, I'm excited to to. Do, and then yeah, it was great because I'm friends with Lorraine Newman, and so I saw Lorraine oh, plays your neighbor. She's my noise. Yeah, my <laughs> You're in, she's, your your snooty Snoopy neighbor. My Snoopy neighbor. <laughs>
2: She's
3: awesome. I know. I love Lorraine Newman. She's just great. I mean, then when I said to her, you know, I was like, "Would you ever be on the show?" Like everybody I work with, they know that I'm going to hit them up, right, and have them be on the show. Like so, I did this movie, and the uh, one of the guys from Rascal Flats was in. it. Oh
0: and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. So That's... then
3: I was like, "You know, I'm going to hit you up. Gonna <laughs> you, be you know on you're going to be on my show." But like they do the whole, he's like, "I'm sorry, I can't come to IKEA." <laughs> We're playing stadiums. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry. You can't. And the thing is, like, he is like, it's all there's this element that it's true. We are friends. Yeah, we did do a movie together. I am kind of a pest. I will be bothering them. To, they, they they know they know I'm going to be sort of, you know, bothering them to uh, to come on the show and talk about Ikea. and.
0: Yeah, but but I know that people in this business, especially, uh, you know, Actors, comedic actors like that, love to work with friends. Love to work on an easy set. Love to work on good material. So, yeah, I'm sure they're they're thrilled to uh, to come and hang out with you. And Tom Arnold uh, has been again. He's been
3: like a recurring because right? we've been friends for so years. Uh, uh, he has like way in the early days because we at some at one point we were in like three movies in a row together. Wow. We just kept getting cast in the same movie. We were always traveling together, and then uh, we were in an air. and TMZ like attacked us and they were like you know thinking we're dating and stuff like that and Tom like plays her along he thinks it's funny Yes. and I was like very I got very uncomfortable and everything and so the way I wrote it into the show is like that we have a fake he's wanting me to go along with a fake relationship (laughs) he's like it'll be great people will feel sorry for you they'll think like you know you just got out of rehab and you're with Tom Arnold you know (laughs) So we play a lot of these things that were, that were, you know, that were, that were real or, Mm. you know, we, we bring it all, we bring it into the show. And then my, you know, my different relationships with, with people too. We try to like exam, you know, examine that. And as I said, God bless Ikea for letting me. Yeah. Yeah. Do all of this stuff like with the uh, a lot of it is again for me going to Kanchahoken, which is where they are and I, t- I outline to them what the story is going to be and they usually like just stare at me <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> they think it's funny, or but I realize that's because they're all Swedish,
0: yes, exactly. But they let me do the show, I, you know. And, and, I mean, you know, it is I'm the ultimate in product placement because you were inside the product, <laughs> yes,
3: <laughs> literally. Yeah. Well, that was one
0: of the things that I, to me, it was
3: like when I first started doing it, it reminded me of like a Jacques Tati film because I was like, you know, what's it's like for me, just. People in yellow is already funny, <laughs> and I'm, as I'm wearing yellow pants. But like a group of people in yellow, yes. I just found already funny. Yes, and then I I came upon the idea to make the store like basically like a character in the show. Mm-hmm. And and again, they went they went along with that. It was never to to try to sell furniture.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, no, um, no. It's it's done in such a great way because it's like, uh, you. There's a there's a love of the culture of it, which you yes. clearly write about. But there's also a complete making fun of it at the same time. Yeah. So it's so, it's but it's a really gentle, you know, making fun of it. And well, it, because there's nothing, you know, toxic about IKEA. It's like, it's IKEA. We all love IKEA.
3: Yeah. It's a relentlessly cheerful <laughs> truly, kind of truly atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> that even after working there the first summer, I was like, do they pump something in the oxygen? You know, because like, I feel so like. <laughs> and everything is bright and it's bright colors yeah. and because we shoot there around the clock and into the night and then they give us total access of the store. Mm. So we're there at night. Mm-hmm. So we've also got like amazing just photos too just from like people – you know, in Ikea at night, like (laughs) all the famous people there at night, like doing dance numbers and, you know, (laughs) and having fun. And I developed friendships with all the people that worked at Ikea. Mm -hmm. And the more I started to develop friendships with them, the more I started to develop my voice of like, I love this idea Because, again, I feel like we got a little bit away from, like, the blue-collar culture. You know, I Mm -hmm. mean, I was a single mom. My mom was a teacher. She went out to work every day. And I kind of relate to that culture, Mm -hmm. middle class, lower middle class, you know. And I almost feel like we've been sort of for – like, it doesn't exist anymore on television. Yeah, I mean, Roseanne's show was, like, it. I think, pretty yeah. much. And there doesn't <laughs> seem to be, now everything is sort of upper middle class. Yeah, or, yeah. or even if you're poor,
0: rich. you live in this apartment in New York that's <laughs> With like, grade view. it's got to be worth like 3000 <laughs> 5, bucks 5000 a month. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. You're the
3: Brooklyn Bridge.
0: Yeah, right. Who the fuck lives there? And I loved that culture
3: mm-hmm. because I was in it. You know, yeah. they would go to work and they had their little stories with everybody. And yeah. there was the part with the customers, you know, and they're helping the customers. But they were doing, you know, they they were doing um uh they told me about a team building event that mm-hmm. they had mm-hmm. and they said and one of the managers was saying, you know, we had these team building events, you know, and it always just turns into speed dating. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was it. I go, I'm read that's what I'm writing. Writing about. that like, down, yes. Yeah. You know? I mean, and they had game night and they wow, traveled together. And so yeah. every time they would tell me something, um, I'm actually really, you know, that then recently, like the other, the big controversy at IKEA was that they changed the uniforms. Mm. That was like a really big deal. So they no longer have the yellow shirts. They went into striped oh. shirts and that, and then yellow and, blue stripe or. Um, it looks like something a referee would wear. Uh, <laughs> they're not. They're not great. They're not happy. I mean, they're they're very clown. They're very rodeo. Oh, clownish. wow. Okay. And so this was like within the culture of IKEA and mm-hmm. working at IKEA for the co. It was like a big, huge deal. Sure. Like nobody. Was happy. They had been wearing the same shirts for fifteen years. Wow! Yeah, and everyone at IKEA was like, you know, I don't know why. Like, we've changed shirts before every ten years, but like for some reason, stripes was not working. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, they're horrible. I don't know why you're changing the shirts. So if I were, you know, that would be a major. Yeah, that was like a part of the show this year. We we had to drop it for budgetary reasons, but we depict a fashion show with the right. With the new, you know that the with the you know with the new shirts and and stuff like that, but they yeah they were great. I mean, like I said, I, I the the third season was the completely surreal, like where we went to Sweden yes. and Fred Willard comes on board as the head of the company. I mean, which again is like <laughs> which is awesome. Who's depicted as drinking with me? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. They just. I've always been amazed.
0: At, yeah, like, you know, those Europeans, they just have a different they're cool about everything. They really are.
3: Yeah, I mean again because they you know they knew that like I genuinely loved IKEA. We genuinely right. are like I'm 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 into the st- I love the store, I love their products. I think they're great and they've been great to work with. Yeah. They we've had so much fun like when we go into the store, I'm astonished like, right. at how nice they are. They push everything out, away and we you know, we're working uh, like right next to the co. You know, it's amazing. W- right next to the, the co-workers. <laughs> they're great. It's such a,
0: it's such a, How did you come up with this? Did you just decide I'm going to do a show at IKEA and go I to had, them? Or? No, I did. I did a pilot which was called Iliana Rama,
3: which I did for Oxygen, and basically the premise was that I give up show business to go work in a supermarket. I had an experience. I was I was with a friend who was also famous, and we were at the Rock and Roll Ralphs. Mm -hmm. And this fan approached me and he was, you know, he was listing all my credits and just like, he goes, congratulations on the Emmy. I was like, I didn't win. He goes, the nomination. Like he was just one thing, one thing after another. And I was trying to like shop and like he would have a, he knew like everything. And and when he walked away, I said to my friend, I go, and the button on the scene should be, I go, thanks so much, you know, paper or plastic. And then my friend said, you got to write that as a short. Yeah. So I wrote it as a short. hmm I got Daryl Hannah to be in it, and I got some other people to be in it. Like, wouldn't it be funny, like all these celebrities working in a right. supermarket right. run by a former Bollywood actor? And so we did the we did the pilot, and it was Jeff Goldblum was in it, Justine Bateman, Greg Proops, oh. John Hurd wow. was part of uh, Ed Bagley was is the you know was it was the st- store manager who runs the Actors Anonymous group at night. <laughs> And uh, we got uh, got the beaver to be in it. Wow! Got Jerry Mathers to be in it. That's
0: great. He's
3: amazing. I'm I'm like I'm doing my share about you know we're transitioning to being like anonymous. You need
0: to do this project now.
3: <laughs> uh, we had so much fun doing it. That's but amazing. I, I was telling my story, and then you know, that's the Jerry Mathers goes. Is that kind of like when being a child actor, and then you grow up, and nobody wants you anymore? And there was like dead silence in the group. I go, well, it's not that bad. Like, <laughs> that's no one's at it as bad as you. And I got John Heard to be. I mean, it was crazy. We got Gene Wilder to do a cameo. Wow. To walk by, and uh, it did not get picked up. Ugh. And, I was devastated. I've I've told this story before. It's like life is very strange. I was very down about it. And I was pretty sure, honestly, I was never going to write another thing. I was mm. like, you know what? Maybe I'm not funny. I, it took so much out of me. It was like a four-year process of doing this thing and getting it on. And uh, Brian De Palma was visiting in Los Angeles. He's He is – I mentioned him in the show again as like a funny – you know, a funny, there's a funny bit. Mm -hmm. I go, there's a ketchup spill in aisle four. You know, it looks like something out of a Brian De Palma movie. (laughs) You might want to check it out, you know, because we had, I had a a storyline. I wanted to get involved with my stalker. Like I have such low (laughs) self-esteem that I actually get involved with a person who's stalking Because it makes you feel good, yeah. (laughs) So we had that storyline. But I was like, oh, I'll show it to Brian. He really wanted to see it and I was was reluctant to show it to him because I thought it was awful. Mm. And I find, I showed it to him. I left the room, and he said, uh, "He goes, you got to stick with this idea. There's just something to this. It's really funny." And he said that, and I was like, "All right, you know." And then the, that's when the internet was happening, mm-hmm. and I put it on YouTube, and uh, an advertising agency that was working for IKEA saw it
0: wow
3: and uh and so I went in uh and I had a a meeting with them To and we were talking about you know doing uh possibly doing interstitials, like doing something else yes, yes, and um the guy's name was Fred Dubin, where I'm still reconnected with him, God bless him because mm-hmm. um he. I did the pitch, dead silence. You know, I was like, I'll get, get Jeff Goldblum. Dead Swedish silence. <laughs> I'll get Jeff Goldblum to be at Ikea. I was like, we'll do the whole show. We'll leave the supermarket. Right. Now I'll be at Ikea. Right. You know, and we'll change the whole thing around. And Fred Dubin, he, he was said to them, this is such little money. It's like he they had advertising money. At the right, time. This was two thousand eight, and he said, "You know what? Throw some money at it, and let's just see what happens." Hmm. And we did the show, and it was like I got Tom Arnold and Jane Lynch. I got all these people to yeah. be in it, and it just there was nothing on the web in two thousand eight that had Jeff. You know what I mean? That Truly. had celebrities. Yeah and and did something about branded entertainment in that way it turned branded entertainment on its ear Yeah. because other people up to that point were like celebrities holding a you know a can of Heineken exactly and yeah that was branded entertainment right yeah so this like ushered in in a way that i almost think no one has been able to do except for IKEA.
0: I, I agreed, agreed, yeah. Be, because it's they gave
3: me—I mean, they—they they literally like. I mean, I said this as a joke, but it was true. They gave me one note the first year, which is we don't sell ice cream; it's actually frozen yogurt, <laughs> which
0: is a joke, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. which
3: comes back in forth right. the year. because yes. they are that kind of obsessional. <laughs> right, <laughs> like we were even in rehearsal. Like, oh, that's the like, kind of
0: note you want to, you know? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's actual note, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a or, creative note.
3: Or in year two, the note was as because uh, Tom Arnold is trying to revive my career and he convinces me to shoot a sex video <laughs> with him oh God. in Ikea, oh God. which we did. Right. And I got two notes. <laughs> we can't call it a sex video. Okay. We just have to call it a video. Right. And when we shot it, which we did in a live working store, you can see this in season two, right? We could not block the aisles for safety reasons. <laughs> was, and so there's me and Tom Arnold.
0: Oh, wow. God bless
3: IKEA. children <laughs> watching us and then moving on. We could so not go block get their the blurgs aisles. and their billies yeah. and their ooplas. Yes. But those are the kind of Wow. The kind of notes that we oh, you know
0: Oh, that's so fantastic.
3: Yeah, they were great. I mean, they were, oh. you know, they were, um, you know, they were amazing. So, um, like I said, like we'll get one note yeah. a
0: year. Yeah. Like oh oh that was another note. I'm just thinking of like average studio notes of a sitcom weekly. Just I'm I'm just thinking of the the fifty you know paw prints all over each little thing and how lovely it must be to be in complete and total creative control of your vision. Well,
3: it was because by season three, I sat down and you know I was dealing with a, like a lot of stuff in my life, and through writing the show, which is you know the best role you never played was yourself. I just started digging and digging and digging and the third season was about me you know my my brother had passed away from also from cancer and just dealing with like death and rebirth and as a woman you know feeling like I'd reached a dead end in many mm-hmm. ways and I had to go somewhere else and so as depicted in season 3 my character which was this self-deprecating you know pushed around by Justine Bateman like always kind of like not really, you know, dressing sort of like a semi, you know, boy, not really embracing mm-hmm. her womanhood, by season three has just run into a wall. Mm. And so she experiences a death at the hands of and, and, and who's a Swedish god who lures women to the... <laughs> Into the water and then kills them. Wow! And, but but in my thing, she comes out and she's reborn. Mm. And in real life, that was going to be me. Wow. Like when I came out of the water, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a different person, a stronger person. And the old Ileana is you know is is now dead. And again, like you know, I'm not sure what this has to do with selling furniture, but <laughs> uh, you know, IKEA is like they you know they let us. Wow. You know, do all of this stuff. And just as an ambassador of the arts, mm-hmm. I – you know, they – there is no one else responsible except for IKEA for helping me. And they, I didn't get a single note. Like yeah. they – that was their – you know, that was the executives. They left me alone. And yeah. if they had concerns about, you know, me taking off my IKEA clothes and being in my underwear and making out with a guy and having him kill me, (laughs) and then I come out as reborn, Uh,
0: they didn't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) That's Um, so cool. (laughs) True patron. True patron of the arts, this IKEA is.
3: Yeah. And, you know, at the end of season three, there's this like, you know, I'm telling this speech that really, you know, and the real executive from IKEA was... You know, was there and at that point again it did become something for me as an artist that was very, very real. I I owe them a huge debt of gratitude yeah. because they let me get all this stuff out mm. of my system. Like Beautiful. all this, you know, all this sadness and this, you know, this mythical character of this yeah. S. Erlen Hewson who is like, you know, for all of us, I guess, like, a, you know, your inner voice about following an, 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 mm. an, an inner, you know, an inner guide that is like pushing you yeah. you know, forward and sure. saying like you're never alone. You're always protected. You're, you know, just like keep going, keep going forward because mm. I tell Tell people that too. Like, well, what do you do when you feel that no one supports you? It's like, well, I may Luckily, I've got lots of voices in my head, <laughs> and they keep telling me that I'm good. Uh, so they're like, go wow. ahead, you know, go ahead. But I think that because they gave me no notes, yeah, I was able to just. And then once I got through season three, which is this metaphysical, like I uh, ghosts and. Goblins and I got everything out of my system. Then season four became okay. Now I can get to because I had to do that too. I was like, all right, Ileana's not this like goofy because mm-hmm. that was a fun character to play. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, but and I had to readjust like, okay, well, how do I now really play? Now I got to really be me. I can no longer be the goofy, right? Then hide behind the right because right. it used to be That's that good. you know,
0: Justine was the strong right. person. Right and you know so now I, you had in, you integrated that into who you really are exactly. actually, and presenting that now as
3: and i was very comfortable with that like so she would i'd say you know i think he likes me like that would be a typical line like he likes me i you know he 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 thinks i'm quirky and she's like ill the world thinks you're quirky you know <laughs> right? so like that i was like oh do they you know like so that kind of uh, which was fun but then I thought that character she's got to go she's got to like go uh, and be in a real relationship and so then she you know get involved with uh Roger Bart and I thought that was really interesting too. That that for me is a callback of all the movies I love people that are very troubled they're very character driven they're like I'm completely screwed up I'm completely screwed up but let's try to let's yes. try to be in a rela- you know let's yes. try to be in a relationship.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Damn, we're out of time,
3: Ileana. Oh, well, jeez, I have to. I
0: talk could, and I know. I, 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 talk there's like ten things now that you brought up. All that other stuff. I'm like, oh, I want to go there, but no, we. we another time, you will come back. I'll come, come, and back. I'll come and back. back. But Lots and, and I didn't about. take a picture, but I wanted to tell you that in my bathroom. In My House is an original poster of Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. Ah, oh, the greatest. The, one of my favorite all-time films ever. Uh, it's Bill Lawrence, Friend of the Family. Oh, my yes, God. Yes. If you haven't seen it, folks, please. It is Cary Grant, <laughs> Myrna Loy, Melvin Douglas. It's just amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. It's, it's the original Money Pit, yes, basically. Yes. But – um, Just uh, such great physical comedy, and just it's just one of those films that does it so well. So I wanted, I almost took a picture before I left, but I didn't. Well, thank you for being here. This was so much fun. This was wonderful. Good, thank you. And uh, everyone, uh, check out, uh, please. Easy to assemble on the YouTube. Go and subscribe. Watch all four seasons. It's it's a fantastic thing. And. Come check me out this Saturday if you want at the Acme. Uh, You know all about that. Uh, And uh, thank you, Logan, for all of your time and effort and music that you bring. And thank everyone at Smodcast. And uh, next week, uh, next week we're going to be talking to a group of women who, uh, do not have children and they've written uh, a very funny anthology called no kidding, <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> a bunch of comedians. Uh, so we're going to talk about that next week and everyone have a good, great, beautiful, safe weekend and, uh, uh, you know, have, have fun.
5: Say I wish you were here And how many days until you come my way And make this feeling disappear And how many roads must you travel Before beginning to unravel The mystery of your life Before forgetting what you have All of the history your strife And I wonder what you're looking for And I'm hoping I can help you find it But if I... you kept your tears at bay and i didn't know what to say but i think i made you happy or at least i tried and i wonder if i can ease your pain but i'm guessing that no one can but if i tried all the same i wouldn't be to blame but i'm guessing that you're not that kind of man To say, I wish you were here. And how many days before you come my way and make this feeling disappear? Well, there's a man in the moon tonight telling me you're all right. And somehow I don't believe him. But you can put up a fight. Tell me The ways I can think of to say, I wish you were here. No use in counting the days before you come my way. I guess I'm gonna have to make this feeling disappear. Mm-hmm.
2: This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. Here are the latest upcoming tour dates for Jay and Silent Bob's super groovy cartoon movie. May 20th at the Klaus Memorial Hall in Indianapolis. May 21st at the Royal Oak Music Theater in Royal Oak, Michigan. And May 22nd at the Pabst Theater in Milwaukee. For all the latest updates and links to purchase tickets, make sure to bookmark csmod.com.